Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, where only one thing can bring friends together, tear them apart, and then bring them together again. Shopping. Book 71, starring Jessica. The spotlight is on Jessica, or is it? Hello, welcome to season eight, season eight of Sweet Valley Diaries. It's finally here. I'm Marissa Flaxbart, your host, and with me today is the wonderful Alex Jennings. Hello. Hi, back again, Alex Jennings, from one of the most important, like significant books of the entire series in my mind, Dear Sister. I don't know if you remember it at all. I kind of do. It was harrowing. Yes. It was really dramatic. Reading this one was definitely different. <laughs> yeah, not hair. I mean, harrowing in like a <laughs> teen way, word. but it's like... Just a intense, the, very no, dramatic. The one you read before was totally harrowing. This one is like... This one is not. Only in the sense of like, if you were in that situation, you would be stressed out, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But nothing, right. I agree. Nothing compared to Dear Sister. Gladiators, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to way back in the early days, one of the early dramatic things that happened. They really got, were off with a start. Sometimes we say like, oh, in the later books of the Sweet Valley High canon, that's when things really got off the rails. But honestly, there's some pretty serious things that happened right intense. at the start. It's like, a lot. <laughs> yeah. But in this one, we have... Jessica on the cover of the book, I assume. But yeah, what do you, let's describe the cover for the listeners. She's wearing a... Well, it, it's... it's Well, we know who it is, because this is the turquoise blazer that they talk about, actually. Ah, uh, This yes. is the boxy turquoise blazer with a white tank top, and she's probably wearing that black miniskirt that she talks about uh, for her TV debut. But she looks older than she's supposed to be, and her hair is not as long. There's always something about, though, like teens in the 80s like they're always or whatever this is takes place right yeah no this this now is like 1990 but it's still got that 80s sensibility and i wonder sometimes about the age of the ghostwriter for any given Mm. book um there's a line in this book where um oh it's the first appearance of the word fanny i think in the series (laughs) and um when i read it i was like that sounds like something my grandma would say, and my grandma was not 16 oh, in 1990. Oh, there was another really weird thing they said. They said, good luck, my elbow. Yeah. And I was like, I yes. have no idea it's, what that means. I have never heard that in my life. It's like a 1930s like <laughs> uh, slapstick movie all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't remember who said that. But yeah, she looks very like newscastery ready. Yeah. She's like a big smile, short hair, very... She looks... Much older than 18. Yeah. She's got that, like, 80s makeup, too. Yes. I mean, not, not eyeshadow so much, but anyway. It's Jessica. She looks old. We talked about that in book 70s episode, I think. I showed mm-hmm. my guest Jordan the cover of this, and she was really confused because, much like you said right before we started, like, oh, I didn't think that's what she looked like. Yeah, because I read it on a Kindle, so I did not get the cover, just yeah. to be clear, so I'm just absorbing this cover now. Yeah, Kindle, like, hides the book cover from you. You have to really hunt it down. And it's also a thousand, it's like 1,500 pages, because it's what it says in the bottom, because it's like half, like, the way they distort the page on the screen, so it looks like it's the longest book in the world. Yeah. Because the print that. edition of this book is 149 pages. Well, I read a 1,500-page book, <laughs> oh. thanks to Kindle. Okay, but no extra scenes, I hope. I don't think so. No, they, they just really make it very, um, the way you read a Kindle book on your computer is very bizarre. I've never done it before. But you sent me this book, and I opened the <laughs> link, and off I went. Well, Jessica's um, outfit, also, she has this little tiny microphone in the corner. Oh, it's appropriate, is. because, of course, the main thrust of this book is that um, Eric Parker, who is a, an alum of Sweet Valley High and also, like, a national evening talk show host? Yeah, I was trying to figure out what he does. Is he a news anchor? Is he more of a personality? Is he, like, the Ryan Seacrest of... Which who, who does everything, you know? Yeah. It's not clear, except that he's a personality, right? But I don't right. know how much entertainment that is and how much news that is. I was really hard-pressed to come up with, like, an analog for who this guy would be because he seemed kind of like an Oprah type, but his show was in the evening and he's, and like, he's a white guy. That, and he was kind of young when they said, like, I only graduated, like, 15 years ago or 18 yeah. years ago. So he was, like, 
in his 30s, it seems to me. I was like, who is this person? I don't know. Yeah. To be so famous and have this big job. And it doesn't seem like it has a lot of humor to it, the show, necessarily. It's like... Well, I, I don't know what kind of show this is. We don't really get to know nearly enough about him. And is this the only book that he's... Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, it's like this story is planted in a previous book. Right. But I think it seems a little bit maybe like a Dick Cavett thing. So the Dick Mm -hmm. Cavett show was this interview show where the interviews, rather than being really like carefully planned with, here's the anecdote that you're going to tell, it was a lot more conversational. So it seems maybe a little like that. Only on this one, he's got this new segment, I guess, a a special evening of, of television called Growing Up in America. And he's looking for an all-American teen. Who boy, all-American. Yeah, yeah. Dangerous <laughs> words um, in this series. Although the list of semifinalists, because what happens at the outside of this book, the like chapter one, is Jessica is filling out an application. Everybody's got these applications um, that they are submitting. And from these applications, one teenager from Sweet Valley High is going to be chosen to be the person that's interviewed one night only on live TV. Uh, I definitely thought this was going to be more like a recurring appearance. I mean, the book is called Starring Jessica. Yeah, and it's definitely like Jessica got maybe four minutes of an interview on national television. <laughs> right. Think. And starring also made me think she would be like acting or something. Which and, seems more like what she wants. Right, but she's just herself, just an interview. It's like a very, just a talk show appearance. Yeah, and she really has this idea that it's going to make her, it's going to be like her launching pad. The way that people, I feel like, use like reality TV. Like, I'll be on The Bachelorette and then I'll be a star. Yeah, you know, people will know who like, I am. It's sort of like cutting to the chase where you're a pageant. Like, how you know how I remember pageants used to be such a thing, mm-hmm. right? Of like, oh, I'm going to do pageants and then I'm going to uh, get scholarships and I'm going to get a journalism degree and I'm going to be a, I'm going to be Diane Sawyer or something. Uh, she definitely thought this was her launching pad to huge success and fame. Yeah, and she's not the only one um, because as she's filling out her application or other people are filling theirs out as well, um, including Lila Fowler. So... Jessica reads Lila's application, and there's a section where you talk about your interests and hobbies. She looks at the application and says, uh, Jessica had stared in disbelief. Lila, who Jessica knew for a fact was the most spoiled, selfish, and lazy girl in the whole world, who had zero community spirit, who had never held a job or participated in extracurricular activities, had fudged a list of pseudo-interests and involvements as long as Jessica's arm. She described herself as an amateur chef. Jessica guessed that had come from the time the two of them had taken a cooking class at the Sweet Valley Civic Center. Lila had been even more of a disaster in the kitchen than Jessica, and she certainly had never touched a dirty dish or cooking utensil at Fowler Crest. But at least the chef's story had some basis in reality. Jessica had no idea how Lila could have claimed to be a photographer. Had she once snapped a couple of Polaroids at a family party? And a tutor at school? Lila was the one who needed tutoring. Her grades were awful. Um, It goes on to say, she had talked as if she were going to change the world when everyone knew she would just go on doing what she always did, sitting on her fanny and spending her father's money. Wow. So Jessica is really annoyed reading Lila's application. There are, one of the biggest questions I felt like or confusion I had in the whole book was like their relationship. Yeah. And a sidebar though, her also relationship with like Amy, I think it was. Amy Sutton, Early sure. on, she's like, Amy's like, I don't need to, I'm not going to apply. I'm not going to fill out an application. And Jessica's like really mad at her. Like, why aren't you doing it? Well, at the end of the day, I'm like, isn't that good for Jessica? It's one less person to compete against. So I feel like it was conflicting and I was unsure about her character. <laughs> and yeah. Do you want your friend to do this or do you want to win? I think Jessica is just annoyed that Amy doesn't think it's the most amazing thing in the world. She feels that way. Elizabeth also doesn't think it's that important. And even though Jessica wants to win this award, is sure that she will, not award, but this slot, and is sure that she will, she doesn't like the idea that anybody would not think it was like, oh my God, such a desirable thing to have. Sure. And I guess Amy is, she feels like, oh, Amy thinks she's so great just because her mom's a local TV sports reporter or whatever. Oh, right. Is she the one, is her mom Diane? I Someone's don't mom is named Diane. And they Diane spell it, Sutton, yeah. And they yeah. spell it I'm D-Y-A-N? 
which I have never seen before as a yeah. spelling for Diane, and I thought it was Dylan without yep. the L. It was very disconcerting. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess it's possible that it's typo, but I think it's not. I think it's Diane Sutton. Um, but so there's a lot of very confusing female relationships, female friendships, well, were huge in this book and very confusing and traumatizing. <laughs> especially Jessica and Lila, which this book comes right out and says they're friends, but they're also rivals. And I think rivals is a good way to describe their relationship. We have the word frenemies now. Sure. But I almost, you know, I do a little intro sentence, like where I try to pick something from the book and summarize it. And I almost said something about like frenemies, you know, Mm. you know, the line between frenemies and actually just enemies, because it's, it's, wild what Lila perpetrates against Jessica in this book. And Jessica isn't like, it's not like she does nothing to Lila. No. But what she does is at least kind of honest. You know what I mean? Like her her anger at Lila's application and how she's fudging it is largely because she's like, well, this person that Lila is representing herself to be is probably going to get chosen and is real competition for me. Whereas Jessica's bending over backwards earlier in this book, much to her credit, not to lie about her experiences, but to like come up with new, like she even goes as far as doing a new thing. Um, She writes a column for the Oracle, which we'll talk about later. Um, She does all that like just to make her application look better, honestly. But absolutely. Jessica had a point and would should be upset that she was kind of fudging her that Lila was fudging her application so much. But early on, she was even Jessica was so mad at Lila and just, just was to her face like, "You're rich. You deserve nothing." Like just <laughs> was constantly shaming her for being rich and like, "Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like let's all pity the one percent. That's not what I'm saying." But like, she's your friend and she didn't choose to be wealthy she was born into this family like there's only so much you can really do about this and you're really shaming her and making you're ostracizing her yeah like that is not nice and so then like suddenly she was like why isn't she happy for me that i got you know nominated or something like because you were like dragging her constantly for the last two chapters so their relationship was very fraught to me (laughs) very yeah yeah I, i mean i think elizabeth sums it up at some point in her inner monologue in this book where she's just like, Jessica's always been kind of jealous of everything Lila has and wanted to have it for herself. And it seems like the feeling of jealousy sits very poorly in Jessica's psyche and turns into anger like immediately. Yeah, and that makes sense. I think, and that's like fine. Those, the, the idea that these girls are friends at all is what's funny to me. It's like, they don't have to be friends, but like, let's just not be friends is what I kind of was expecting. Yeah. They uh, probably shouldn't. I mean, they're, I mean, I was going to say they probably shouldn't be, but I think I would go as far as to say, I think they're not. I think they are not friends. They're not friends, but then there's this language where they're like, well, they really miss my friend and like, we're close friends. And like, she's one of, I feel like, I swear to God, like Jessica's like, she's one of my best friends. And I'm like, ish. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy. Just someone that you go to school with that you know well, that you've known a long time, does not equal your best friend. Yeah, they seem like they're very dangerous to each other, but I guess they thrive on that somehow. I, I have a little moment here, just going back to Jessica's application struggle um, that I captured that I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> Jessica frowned. When she looked at herself this way on paper, she almost seemed, was it possible, a little bit shallow. Liz, what am I going to do? Jessica wailed, tossing the application aside. Eric Parker is never going to choose me to be on his TV show. I'm not well-rounded. Elizabeth smiled. Don't be silly, Jess. You stand as good a chance as anyone of being chosen. But that's not good enough, Jessica pointed out. I want to be a shoe-in. I want that TV spot. I need that TV spot. It could be the start of my career. What career? Well, my career of being famous. (laughs) So... Elizabeth tries to help, and that's how the Oracle thing comes about, which is interesting. What did you think of that? The Oracle? Yeah. Her her I, segment, her her, her, oh, her special article, article. Column? Yeah, I mean, I was certainly, like, jealous that suddenly she just has such a great talent and ability to just write, like, really great, clear satire so quickly. Yes. Jealous? I mean, and you're not the only one, right? Yeah, I guess I really related to Liz, uh, Elizabeth, being so jealous and questioning when things just come easily to people. Yeah, so Jess, it's really kind of a revelation in this series, because we've never really seen Jess do something like this. Mm. But she essentially writes this 
like lampooning of her worst dates. And she talks about the time that she and Winston were stuck on a desert island, which wasn't really a date, but you know, she, like I said, she's kind of fudging it a little bit, but um, she talks about the time that she uh, was working for an online dating service. And she, and she tells these stories that really are hilarious. I mean, they're, I mean, we don't get to see the article in full, I don't think, but we hear about it and it sounds like, I mean, the stories are so, some of them are so over the top that, Jessica is encouraged to change the names to sort of like have some, uh, I don't know, to protect yourself from a libel suit. Yeah, the idea that she didn't immediately write this with changing names and was like, I'm just going to write facts about everyone. I'm just going to write mean stuff to while naming everyone in school. Like, it's like, oh, wow, that takes some balls to just not really care at yeah. all. So Elizabeth reads this article and says... You have had some truly awful dating experiences, Jess, and you hit just the right comedic tone, she said with admiration. Elizabeth was genuinely surprised and impressed. She could not have written a better article herself. It's funny, biting, perfect satire. Jessica shrugged. The literary critique meant nothing to her. She was more interested in the entertainment factor. Um, so it's like Jessica has this like amazing gift, apparently, and she doesn't really even care about it. And Elizabeth... No, it's not only that, but then when she turns it in, Olivia or Penny. Penny, the editor. Yeah, loves it's it. Penny. Yeah, and it gives her such an amazing compliment. She basically says it's perfect, and yeah. Elizabeth has never gotten those words before. And she's even like, yeah, changing the name seems like a good idea, but you should do whatever you want because it's so great. And this is just a one off thing. It's not like going to be a repeating column, but Elizabeth is like, oh man, you know, in my last, in the last book, she had some trouble interviewing this girl named Claire Middleton. And it's funny because I actually had a former journalist on the show for that episode. Mm -hmm. And she was saying like, yeah, Elizabeth did a really bad job interviewing this girl. (laughs) I'm glad she acknowledged that. But in this, she's like, that's actually coming, it's coming back to bite her now, those thoughts of that. Mm, The Um, inner saboteur is coming out. The other really important thing to note about this, like a seed that's planted, is that something Jessica says about Bruce Patman uh, is... I thought it would be fun to go parking in his black Porsche until I discovered he kisses like a dead jellyfish. Um, so that's the worst one. Yeah, that's the worst one. That's the that's the biggie. And she ends up changing their names, and he changes. She changes his name to like Reginald Rich or something. Right. But they still are like I don't know if that's enough. They want her to change the names from the fake names. Yeah. They she, she changed the car from a black Porsche to something else. Yeah. But they want to change the. <laughs> They want to change the fake names to different fake names to make it even more yeah. unclear. Well, and of and course, I don't know if that would have helped. But no. um, of course, everybody knows as soon as this comes out that Reginald Rich is Bruce Patman. Yeah. And he gets a lot of, he gets teased mightily for it. Um, but also like, like Lila, nobody really has much sympathy for Bruce because he has everything he like owns the town. This book is really making me suddenly like feel bad and empathize with these <laughs> super uber wealthy like Nepo babies, which I don't love. That, that I like, that was my interest. I was like feeling bad for these people. Oh my god! But they're really being tortured. That's so funny. Going back to the Eric Parker plot line. Yes. It's supposed to be, we get a very like tight timeline for how this book, we know it's unfolding over a week and a half, which listen, as a um, Sweet Valley scholar, I very much appreciate these like specific information about how long Mm -hmm. the book is taking. But almost immediately we skip from the beginning of the book to like three days later. So then they're waiting to see who's chosen from these applications and they get the announcement that in fact, the, the applications were so strong that they're going to pull six people and have Eric Parker have second round interviews with each of them, which makes sense to me. But Yeah, there's six finalists or whatever. And Jessica's, I think, upset that she doesn't just immediately, isn't immediately chosen. It's like, obvious. It should be me. Yeah. Um, so it's Winston Egbert, Olivia Davidson, Patty Gilbert, Jim Roberts, to which Jim Roberts, Jessica wrinkled her forehead. She wasn't even sure she knew who Jim Roberts was. <laughs> and then Lila Fowler. So those are the six. And Jessica, who's the first name that's called. Um, so uh, they say to each other after they hear this announcement over the intercom. So who's our competition again? Asked Lila coolly. Winston, Patty, Olivia, and Jim Roberts, Jessica recited. Lila ticked them off on her fingers dismissively. School clown, dancer, arts editor, photography buff. A classic bunch of nerds. 
<laughs> Jessica had to agree. <laughs> sure, they were all nice people, but someone as cool as Eric Parker was bound to recognize that each one was missing something crucial. <laughs> so I don't know what that is exactly, but just all American popularity. <laughs> yeah. Don't be an artist or don't have an interesting. It's almost like don't have anything too specific about you. Yeah, yeah. And apparently that is what he likes because, I mean, well, I don't want to skip the first prank, essentially, that Lila pulls on Jessica. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the days of the interview, which are only 15 minutes long. Which are short. Yeah. And at the last minute, they've decided to change the location, which sucks for them. That's terrible. That's really, it's like already stressful. You're running around and they go to the conference room and Lila's got the first interview. Jessica's got the last interview. So Lila gets to the conference room and the like secretary or somebody is pinning up a sign that says that the interviews are relocated. To the auditorium. Yeah. She gets the brilliant idea that she's going to go back after Olivia's interview, who's the second to last person. And she's going to take the sign down. So when Jessica goes to the conference room, she won't see the notice that the interview. Yeah. yeah. And she, that's exactly what happens. She, Jessica shows up and is just waiting around, just waiting around by the office, the conference room, waiting for the interview to start. Yeah. And it doesn't. And it's sad. Yeah. And so finally she leaves and just luckily she runs into Olivia Davidson who's like, Jessica, what are you doing here? And uh, so she manages to make it to the auditorium. And here's where it's like, yeah, Jessica really is kind of made for this stuff. I mean, as ridiculous as it is for Jessica Wakefield to somehow be the representative of like American teenhood, she is, seems like she does have a natural affinity for just like going with the flow and talking and like being charming and yeah, she's out very outgoing. Yeah. She's very open to talking about herself. So she even makes her lateness seem like it's just a part of her aura, you know, I guess we've all met people like that who it's just yeah. like you, for whatever reason you forgive them for their faults because it's just like, Oh, that's just Jessica. Yeah. She says something like, sorry, that's me. Or you should ask my twin. Like I'm always a late one. Like she's like immediately like, oops, aren't I cute? And it yeah. Works. It does work. I was kind of, Thinking that at some point, because I think of how like stories are told today and the world we're in now, that I knew this wasn't going to happen, but part of me still was like, is this how it's going to go? Where Eric Parker like was creepy? Oh, It really yeah. feels like some, now in like, you know, post Me Too era that we're in, I was like waiting for Eric Parker to like be kind of like skeezy or something. Oh my gosh. The wild thing is that in these books, it would have been like the other way. Like Jessica is trying to hit on Eric Parker. In fact, in this book, she talks about the time that she was on the Jeremy Frank show, which is a local like show that's similar to this. They had to differentiate somehow. Well, that wasn't as big of a deal because that was just local. This is national. And um, that was absolutely a case of her like flirting so hard with this guy, Jeremy Frank, who was in the hospital with a broken leg. She was a candy striper. He did not want to be flirted with. And the way that they finally somehow like got it all to stop was like he proposed to her to like scare her off. Oh my god! So weird. But it's funny. I don't know if you got the sense of this or if it read this way to you. But I thought for the first couple chapters of this book, it was like we were watching a clip show. A Sweet Valley High. Like, so many past books were referenced. There really were. It was crazy. I, like, wrote that down at one point. I was like, it's bonkers how, like, they just keep referring to, like, super traumatic, super specific things that have happened to Yeah. Them. Like, oh, there's one where, like, wh- who's the person that was, like, like, racially, like, someone, like, dealt with, like, racist attacks? I had a feeling that might be the thing that you mentioned. Because it was very insane. much, like, one of these things is not like the other. Oh, racially motivated disturbance is how yeah. they called it. Like, oh, a disturbance, that's all. Andy Jenkins? Andy Jenkins. And then they said it was a painful learning experience. Like, I guess at least we used the word learning yeah, experience. Yeah, that was just a couple oh, books ago. And it was um, actually Callie Baker Johnson, who, you know, I believe mm. was... Uh, the guest for that show. We talked through that one. And that book like doesn't even really have a resolution because I, I, they weren't <sighs> wise enough in the, in the book to, um, I guess, like not try to solve it all real nice and neat. And right. so I think the book is sort of like paying a tax of, okay, mm-hmm. well, 
the, the series now is going to have to keep on mentioning it so that it acknowledges that this is an ongoing like learning process. But that's as far as it goes. It happened in book 70 as well. It got mentioned real quick and then pressed past. Yeah, I mean, between that and then like, oh, and then I was on the deserted island with Winston. It was like, okay. Yeah, that's like a joke. Like Winston makes a joke about how Jessica didn't look so cute when she was on that desert island. She wasn't so photogenic that day. Oh gosh. And, you know, they talk about, I think in the Candy Striper thing, they make an aside about how Elizabeth got kidnapped at the end of that. You know, <laughs> just like, I can't like, believe that didn't even click with me. There's just too many, like, crazy traumatic stories that they kept bringing. Yeah, up. I mean, Jessica should have put some of that on her application. <laughs> Truly, what it needs to be is that, like, things, really bad stuff happens to me all the time. Yeah, it just so happens. That's what it should have been. <laughs> but um, the next thing that happens with the Eric Parker storyline is the announcement of well jessica does sense that lila is probably the one who did this to her like yes. she doesn't know for sure but she has a feeling and that's why she says in her interview with eric oh, parker yes. she says uh oh yeah no, oh she's talking about being a candy striper and she says it's so and so fowler hospital and he's like oh like lila fowler is there any relationship oh yeah there's a big relationship he basically owns this town like her family is huge. We're going to be named Fowlerville in no time. Like she spends half her interview, mm -hmm. you know, dragging her, dragging Lila. Yeah. She says, um, oh, is Lila back from Hong Kong already? <laughs> that's right. She does. So, wow. yeah. Wow. Wow. Just, that's evil. Like, that's not a friend. But you know what's so wild to me is that even though now he knows that about Lila and that that was not represented at all in his conversation with her or on her mm -hmm. application he still chooses Lila to be the alternate yeah. for Jessica. Uh, if Jessica can't, you know, perform her duties or something. Which is very bizarre to have an alternate announced in that way, like publicly also. Yeah. But maybe, maybe there's a side plot where with Eric Parker where he needs to make sure that he's in the Fowler's good graces and he's still trying to like rub elbows. Um, he wanted to make sure the Fowler's oh, are still happy. That's interesting. I mean, it seems like it's gotta be something like that. Although... Yeah, it's weird. Their, like, casualness of how they're handling the, like, live TV situation here is pretty, pretty strange. Like, you know, they you think they would have had her in, like, hair and makeup for yeah. an hour before they went on or something. But that's we're skipping ahead to the end now. So let's let's get there. As soon as we find this out that Lila's the alternate, it's, I mean, I think pretty clear where the book is headed. Yes. At this point... Also, the story that Jessica wrote has just come out in the newspaper. Yes. And everybody is giving Bruce Patman so much shit. Oh, what about the scene in the science class? The t Mr. Russo, I think it is. Oh, where they bring up jellyfish? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course. He's called a dead jellyfish. He kisses like a dead jellyfish, and then immediately science class, they're learning about jellyfish. Right. I mean, that's just painful. It's a big coincidence, but it is a pretty funny scene. <laughs> and then, of course, everybody in the class is, like, suppressing their giggles and, like, staring at Bruce, who's trying to be above it all, you know. But Lila, when she catches wind of how angry Bruce is, and she knows she's the alternate, she's got to come up with a plan. She realizes that she can team up with Bruce, because they both want to hurt Jessica. Yes. <laughs> this is what it is, essentially. So, but the book does a, like, you know, Lila leans into his ear, like, pss, 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 and doesn't tell us what their plan is. We're going to have to find out later. And this seems like an opportune time to talk about Elizabeth's story. Because mm -hmm. um, we already alluded to her anxiety and yeah. jealous the jealousy it's more like a like an existential crisis it really feels like an existential crisis it feels way more like just comparison right which i think as i don't know as a i feel like you probably like as artists right i assume you feel this way like we've all had those moments when you start comparing yourself to others and like yeah. oh they they're better at that or they booked that and it's a whole thing and then yeah yeah, I think comparison is the thief of joy. And we're, <laughs> yes. And uh, we're definitely witnessing that with Elizabeth. That is very true. And it's like Jessica thinking about being well-rounded, which is a phrase that comes up a lot in this book, mm -hmm. is making Elizabeth think about that. And she realizes that she kind of only, she feels like she only has academic interests. Now, that's not true. Um, yeah, is that true? Because they make it seem like all she cares about is writing and that's all she's ever really cared about. I mean, obviously, she's a very good, well-rounded, like, student, but, like, writing is her passion, and that's her only It's definitely passion. her primary interest, and that's why 
when Jessica, it's like her identity in a lot of ways. And the book makes it, the book series makes it that way, right? She's always talking about how, you know, how she wants to be a writer or she wants to be a journalist someday. And so when Jessica suddenly like briefly kind of subsumes that identity just for like a split second. It's just as long as like she writes something really well. She's like, Oh, Elizabeth's not the only writer in the family. And then she gets complimented on it. And she's, then she's off doing her own thing again. That's all. But Elizabeth is suddenly like, well, maybe I need to try more things. Yeah. There's also something about, I think what I was saying about a lot of people just feeling like the comparison and how that can be very painful. But I think it's so much worse when you're a twin, which they mm-hmm. talk about at the end. I think Jessica says at the end, like when you're a twin, you actually know yourself better and you have to like really create your identity. Yeah. Uh, and and when El- Elizabeth's identity is maybe like taken away from her in that moment, when yeah. you're not the only writer, like I think that hits way harder when you're an identical twin. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's something Jessica says in her interview with Eric, where he asks her what it's like to be an identical twin. And yeah, I mean... It's a great answer, and it's a really interesting way of framing it, I thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something that genuinely does come up in these books over and over again, not but never like stated so clearly that they need to be different people to sort of... Uh, be able to separate from each other. They have to create these very different identities. Yeah, I haven't thought about it too much, but I think a lot of times we think like, oh, being an identical twin especially must be really hard. And how do you find your sense of self and individuality? Yeah. But apparently, according to Jessica, it's easier because it's like more imperative that you find yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. And so pretty immediately, Enid has this idea that there's this like junior park ranger thing at Seca Lake and and Elizabeth could do that. They could go both do yeah, it. because Enid's going to go, I think, already. And she's like, hey, do you want to come with me to this? Yeah. And so they go. And Elizabeth is such a little overachiever that she really impresses Don, the guy that is... Another guy that I assume because he's like... <laughs> also, like... Because every guy is attractive in this book. That's what they say. Oh, sure. And another part of me is like, uh-oh, danger, predator. Like, oh, I'm always now yeah. thinking like, oh, no. A man in his 30s that's good looking and is like dealing with a bunch of teens and she finds him attractive. Oh no, he's going to take a liking to her. If this is sounding familiar, Gladiators, no, Mr. Collins does not appear in this book. So they had to put it all in Eric and Don. But I don't even know how old Don is. I feel like I missed that. He also seemed really... No, I remember... I don't know what they said, but he said something where he graduated from college like three years ago. Because in my head, because he's married, it says he's wearing a ring, but then I'm like, he's only 25? And he's... (laughs) But back then, I guess you're 25 and married. 1990. So what Don does is immediately single out Elizabeth as the star pupil. And not single out in a weird way, just single out in a teacher-y way. Sorry, that was just what I thought was going to maybe happen. And it's sad that that's where my brain goes, but luckily that never happens. You're not alone, Alex. But no, that's not what happens. Um, but it, what does happen is that he asks Elizabeth if she can be sort of like the leader and she has all this thought about how probably she doesn't have time to do that and her other stuff. Like she only has, she specifically set out in her own mind how much time she has to devote to another hobby. Like that's why she tells Todd earlier on in the book that she's not going to try out for sports because she doesn't have Mm -hmm. the time to do that day after day. And that's smart. Yeah. But oh my gosh. I talk a lot about being an Elizabeth and relating to Elizabeth, but this book, it doesn't use these words, but is really delving into um, boundaries and like failure mm-hmm. to set boundaries around people needing you. And I was just like, oh my God, I feel this pain so badly because what keeps happening then throughout the book is she she thinks, oh, I don't know if I really have time for this, but it feels so good to be chosen by Don when Penny you know, won't even give me a compliment. So you know what? Yes, Don, I will do this. And then she keeps on getting phone calls you know she's the first one on the call list asked to come and sub for something like oh somebody called out or oh we have a we need a special tour guide for these third graders or whatever it is and elizabeth keeps saying yes even though in her mind we're seeing her think i don't really have time for this but kind of don't want to let him down i guess i'll do it you know and she does that several times and Mm -hmm. has to has a hard time juggling all of her other responsibilities because of it it was super stressful yeah and then there's that moment i might be skipping ahead but there's this moment when she says yes to don she's 
does some sunset tour, a sunset tour that's like two hours long. I was like, who needs a two hour long sunset tour of a park? But okay. Yeah, sunset only lasts a few minutes, right? I was like, all right, this is a night tour. Um, (laughs) She gets home at like 9.30, way after sunset. Is that when she's missed the dinner? She's like missed the family dinner for Jessica? Maybe. There's this one scene where Elizabeth is frantically cooking dinner, um, Jessica not helping, Ask Jessica to help by at least like picking out an easy recipe from a cookbook. I do love when they're like, find a recipe. And they're like, here, it's a sun-dried tomato pasta. That should be easy. And then she's like, great. Mom picked up sun-dried tomatoes yesterday. And we're like, what a specific thing. They're just like, happened to have sun-dried tomatoes. Also very 90s for it to, for sun-dried tomatoes sun-dried to be tomatoes the hot exhibit. Market. I mean, hot ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like a very specific. Oh, perfect. Sun-dried tomatoes. A bag of sun-dried tomatoes, no less. Yes. Um, So they're doing that, and and Elizabeth is already thinking about how she has to finish this piece she has for the Oracle, because she's got a deadline, and she needs to do her homework. And yeah, then she ends up getting this phone call, and she leaves. Mm -hmm. She doesn't get back, like you're saying, until like 9.30. And then Jessica's like, can you help me with my interview practice? I'm really nervous. Yeah. And... She, it's like 9.30 and she has homework to do and she needs to finish her thing. And yet she says yes to Jessica. And part of me is like, this is codependent. This is unhealthy codependency. Yeah. Like, I was like, what is this? Yeah. And weirdly enough, the rather than having that be like a final straw in the story, that's actually like a turning point that helps Elizabeth realize what she actually cares about. Like is, she does yeah. a good job interviewing Jessica and she's having fun with it. And it makes her realize that that actually is a skill that she has. It was weird because it definitely like turns into like, oh, this is such a positive thing. Like they had such a great time bonding together. She's a great interviewer and she's a great, you know, guest. But when she said yes to Jessica at 10 p.m. saying like, yes, I'll help you. And I'm going to put aside my own work and I'm going to prioritize you over myself. I was a little like, ooh, no, Elizabeth, don't. Don't do that. You're exhausted. You need to shower. Like you have so much you're supposed to be doing right now. Yeah. So after this goes so well, um, here's the final, this is the end of chapter eight. Elizabeth's final thought after having this fun, but like, wow, end of a really long day experience with interviewing Jessica in a mock interview. The door shut behind Jessica. Elizabeth sank back against the pillows on her bed. Then she sat up straight again. All of a sudden, she was not so tired anymore. In fact, she was in the mood to sit down in her typewriter and rattle off a few more paragraphs of eyes and ears. Elizabeth jumped to her feet and plugged in her typewriter, interviewing Jessica, writing up a story. She did get a very special satisfaction from this sort of work, but she also loved leading the nature walks at the park. I don't have to choose between the two, Elizabeth told herself as she rolled a crisp sheet of paper into the typewriter. At least not yet. So that's where she's leaving that. Like, I do enjoy both of these things. But one of them left her, like, lying on her bed so tired, and the other gets her all energized to a almost sort of, like, manic degree. But I get Can it. we go back and talk about... Because we've already... We skipped to where she... To where Elizabeth has already, like, gets the job of she's chosen to be one of the volunteers mm-hmm. of the park. But before they're officially, like, junior rangers, they have to take that test, and they have to get 100% on the test. Yeah. And first, 100%, at least someone calls that out. But what I thought was so funny was her and Enid need to, like, are at lunch, and she's saying that she needs to study the booklet, you know, for that test coming up for to be junior mm-hmm. park ranger. And she's like, and there's no spots in the cafeteria and Nina's like let's sit outside and Elizabeth's like no I might be tempted to sunbathe <laughs> we have to sit inside and I was like that is insane like number one this isn't Jessica this is Elizabeth saying oh no if I sit outside I'm I'm not gonna be able to study I'm gonna want to sunbathe out in the sun and so she chooses to sit with all her friends and her talkative sister way and like, more distracting that's so much more distracting I was like this is I just, the idea that I was tempted to sunbathe, like, really took me back. Yeah. <laughs> I also was, like, a super pale person. I was like, I don't understand that instinct. But um, it was crazy to me. Very I, non-Elizabeth, I thought. I wonder if that was, like, some East Coast writer, like, really trying to romanticize the idea of the fact that they go to SoCal, uh, SoCal High School yeah. and they can potentially go outside at lunch. I guess that's very, it feels very clueless or something. Too. Yeah, yeah. But that just doesn't seem very Elizabeth. I agree. It was weird. Not it was that like, I've read all, every single book, but no. what I have read. Because Elizabeth to me is like a tiny bit Rory Gilmore to me. So Oh, totally. Obviously, Elizabeth came first, but... Absolutely. In bo- on both counts. 
so that's kind of Elizabeth's journey, you know, and eventually, you know, spoiler alert, she realizes that she can't really do both. She, she doesn't actually try to find a happy balance. She just quits being a junior ranger. Yes. Yeah, she's like, I'm not even going to be the special yeah. person. Yeah. She could just like demote herself and be like right. a regular volunteer. But before that happens, she does have what I found to be a very satisfying moment where she tells Don, no, she can't do the thing that he's called her to help out with. Mm -hmm. And Don says to her, okay, no problem. I'll call somebody else. And it's just like, that's, that is setting boundaries. Like that's the experience of being like, you, you are so afraid. I mean, again, super relate to this, uh, this part of Elizabeth, as I relate to so many parts of her, the thing of like, you really don't want to let somebody down. So, and you're afraid of what they'll say or what they'll think of you. If you if you say no and then you say no and you find out it's actually no big deal. Yeah. I wish she'd taken that in even more. I wanted the book to go even further to really like hit it over the head for her and for the readers to be like, look, it's fine. Nothing bad happened. He was totally cool with this. Yes. Cause I've had those moments too where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm sweating, freak, freaking out. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, it's cool. Totally understand. <laughs> so and it was very uh, relieving to read, but she only, but it had to be such a huge thing. Well, specifically for her sister, in order to say no to Don. Yes. Which, speaking of which, the reason the book didn't spend more time on it is because the book had other things to get to, which is this big scheme from Lila and Bruce. But we we first see Lila's part of it, right? So, step one, and Jessica should have been suspicious already. Truly. Lila calls Jessica on the phone and basically says, listen, Jessica, I've been a real brat because she hasn't been talking to Jessica. She's yeah. been really, she I've has been a real brat. Yeah. Since she was found out that she was the runner up, mm-hmm. which is still, she's doing a lot better than the other four students, yeah. but it's the worst case scenario in a sense, <laughs> except unless she can get Jessica, you know, out of the way. Um, so she calls Jessica and says, I'm so sorry. I miss our friendship. I miss you. Like I, I was... Uh, like not I was being petty and Jessica is like really humbled by this because she was not expecting it which like I wonder why you weren't expecting it Jessica hello (laughs) she agrees to Lila's suggestion that what they should do is they should take a trip to go shopping together and they can't go to the stupid old valley mall because they've been to those shops a million times what we'll do is we'll go pick out something awesome for you to wear on your interview at a boutique in cold springs an hour away yeah and I'll drive Yep. Don't worry, Jessica, I'll drive. So they hop into the Lime Green Triumph and they drive to Cold Springs where Lila is like, wait it's till you see this place. It's the same day. It's the same day as her interview. I yeah. don't, like, if I have something big, I don't uh-huh. do anything that uh-huh. day, you know? I'm like freaked out. Um, so just to take a pause here for a second for story time. Now that you mentioned that, that actually reminds me of the story of the sort of disaster that happened to Will um, my friend, your husband, Will, and I, when we were in Florida for our, our first in-person film festival with the movie that we made together. Yeah. And um, Will's stepfather very graciously took us out on the speedboat. In Florida. At, you know, many hours before we were supposed to be at the theater. Yeah. And then uh, the boat ran aground and uh, got it free, but there was a like, propeller thing that was bent and we had to wait for... A towboat, which that's a, a towboat. Yep. That's what it's for. It's for towing boats. Who knew? <laughs> um, to come and tor- tow us back to their house. And the first thing out of Will Stepdad's mouth was, well, I don't know if you guys are going to make it to your show. <laughs> I was, <laughs> to your show. Like, to his credit, Will was like, ended up being like, outwardly at least very zen about it. But I was like, mildly having a panic attack. My dad was there too, actually. So, and he was like pretty cool about it too, but I was just like, oh my God, this is such a disaster. Big screening that you knew a lot of people were going to. And there you were stuck on a boat in the middle of the Tampa Bay. Yeah, like really not that far from the shore, but far enough that it would not have made sense for us to try to. You guys like barely made it. Yes, but we did make it. You made it. You made it. <laughs> but you barely ending. made it. So that's why you really shouldn't do anything big when you have a big thing at night. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Not even on a boat. But so that's what I was thinking when Jessica's on this long car ride up to Cold Springs. But she gets there and she's still enchanted. She's like, Lila, you've been keeping this place a secret from me. And as soon as they walk into the store, they're getting like dirty looks from the women that work there. And they think they, they're like, 
oh, they don't think we can afford this store. Like, we'll yeah, show them. that's what Lila says. Like, oh, don't worry about them. Yeah. I'm used to it. Everyone thinks I don't have money because I'm young. So Lila puts Jessica in a fitting room and offers very generously to hold Jessica's purse. Mm. And Jessica still hasn't seen through this. Like, <laughs> when was Lila ever nice to you, Jessica? This nice. Yeah. Such a huge, like turn that's like such a 180 yeah so lila or jessica's trying on this weird shirt it's like red with like a <laughs> sailor like a red and white like set like a little crop top and a mini skirt or something but it's like red with like a white sailor thing yeah i don't know it's like oh that's a look okay i mean jessica gonna pull it off i'm sure <laughs> but then she walks out of the dressing room and lila is gone with jessica's purse and she jessica runs out of the shop to like try to find her and sees lila pulling away she's abandoning jessica at this store an hour away yes and then to make matters worse she gets yanked on the arm the salespeople are like you think you're going to try stealing from this store? They're talking about the shirt that Jessica is still wearing as if she had like walked out of the dressing room and was like, okay, now I'm going to run for it with the shirt still on. That yes, I just they were like to try. really aggressive. Like, yeah. don't you dare shoplift. And they'd already called the police. It was like, whoa, these ladies are really suspicious. Yeah. And it made no sense to me at first. I was like, they're being intense. Like I get being concerned, but they were freaking out. But then we get the reveal. We reveal as to why they were treated in this way. Yeah. Which is, Bruce called them earlier and pretended to be a sheriff, saying that there was a string of shoplifting crimes going around Cold Springs and to look out for a girl that looks exactly like Jessica. Yeah. So they were eyeing Jessica the whole time, knowing this is her. The sheriff told us. Um, and sheriff he's... Tapman. Yeah, Tapnum. <laughs> he, uh, he did a little um, anagram of yeah. his... Yeah, uh... Tapman, Tapnum. Yeah. Detective Tapman, Tap. It's hard to say. It Tapnum, is. Tapnum, Detective Tapnum. So Lila, when she gets back to Sweet Valley, is so elated um, that we have a moment that the book glosses over, but gladiators, I will not gloss over, um, where Lila joyously goes to the Patman. Sorry, yeah, to the Patman Manor, man, whatever they call it, and um, they. Uh, yeah. he, she runs up and tells Bruce um, how. They really got Jessica. I, I really got Jessica this time. Boy, did I get her, Lila thinks. So um, we're going to take a second uh, now to talk about boys. Which this book does constantly. Oh, oh who's a beautiful boy? Who's a beautiful boy? I'm in danger of losing my head to a beautiful boy. a beautiful boy. is a beautiful boy. Yes, there are a few moments of like Amy thinking that Tom McKay looks so hot. He's the hottest boy in school. Enid says, I think it's Enid and Elizabeth when they're with Don, the park ranger. Enid's like obsessed with him and is like, we're going to be his love slaves. Like the word love slave is Oh used. man, I didn't even notice Which that. I was wow. Like, oh, okay. Like, and I, it's so funny. I mean, at the end of the day, I guess it's... um. Feminism, though, because, right? Because uh, we're objectifying the men. Yes? <laughs> yes. So it's fine. There's all these, like, super horny, like, teenage girls. Like It's like they're constantly describing these guys' appearance, yeah. like, in great detail. Yeah. Well, and here's the part that's the most detailed. <laughs> um, she parked the Triumph and hurried along the flagstone path to the back of the hilltop mansion. Sure enough, Bruce had just stepped out of the Olympic-sized swimming pool and was in the process of toweling himself off. His eyes lit up expectantly when he saw her. In spite of herself, Lila took a moment to admire the way the drops of water glistened on Bruce's broad, suntan chest and shoulders. Then she gave him the thumbs up sign. Mission accomplished, Jessica's stranded, maybe even behind bars. Um, jumping ahead to the following page, they're so excited about how Lila, they, they, how they've screwed over Jessica and how much, like, not only did they get her by stranding her, she doesn't get her opportunity, but then also Lila's gonna get to do it, she's really gonna hate that. And of course, Lila's gonna love it. Lila threw her arms around Bruce's neck in an impetuous hug. Thanks for helping to make this happen, Bruce. Bruce slipped his own arms around Lila's waist, anytime. Suddenly, Lila realized that their bodies were pressed close together. Without thinking, she closed her eyes and tipped her face to his. An instant later, Bruce's lips met hers in a passionate kiss. They clung together for a moment before jumping apart in confusion. Bruce looked as surprised as Lila did. Lila felt her cheeks burning. Of all people, Bruce Patman. 
She had never even been attracted to him, and now she had just kissed him? How could she have done it? She didn't even like him. Nobody did. <laughs> Nobody did. <laughs> Nobody liked him. So wow. I, I was like, I could not believe that that happened. And I was really hoping that this was going to be the start of a Lila and Bruce romance. So I'll, I'll hold my breath for the future we'll books. See. but Because this book doesn't suggest that it is. You know, any, no, they, they the both further like, Whoa, they're both supposedly freaked out by it. Yeah. And Lila even makes a comment later in the book about Bruce kissing like a dead jellyfish. So. I mean, again, I have not read all the books, so I'm sure Bruce like deserves a lot of this. But as someone who has not read all of the issues with Bruce... Let me tell you. It's, uh, it's like, geez, this guy can't catch a break. Way back in the book when Jessica actually does date, date Bruce, which is a long time ago, uh, it sure doesn't seem like she's not enjoying his kissing. Let me just put it that oh, way. So, so it's just convenient now. I think they just she like shitting on it. She doesn't even say him. that I think she exaggerates. I think Elizabeth even brings it up to Jessica. Like, geez, really? He's yeah. this bad? And she's like, eh, you know, like, yeah. you got to say something that makes people happy. Yeah. <laughs> it entertains. So let's get back to the store that Jessica's in. The yes. police come and Jessica's like, okay, I just have to tell you the whole story. I feel like it sounds really far-fetched. She's like a pitiful, sad, pathetic crybaby. Like, you know, which I understand, but she's a puddle. Yeah, she's tears, like crying. Seems, I would yeah. be crying too. And then ultimately um, she is saved not by her own story, but by the still very litigious uh, shop owners being like, then how come Detective Tapnum called us and he said something that looked just like you was going to, was was committing robberies all over this place or burglaries or whatever. Um, And that's when the police were like, who (laughs) and what? (laughs) Because they're like, yeah, not only does that person not exist, but there haven't been any robberies. There hasn't been any shoplifting. Uh, Yeah, we're cool. In that department. And then they realized that they'd been pranked. They'd been got. And um, the one detective is like, well, I get off work at seven and I c- I'll drive you down to Sweet Valley, which is very nice of him. But um, the show starts at seven. So she knows basically as soon as Lila drove yeah. away that she wasn't going to make it. I'm just realizing now how big of the book it was to not also objectify that police officer and have Jessica think like, oh, he's pretty cute. No, they did say something. Did they? Oh my gosh. No, they did. Reading this One book of too the fast. Cute, no. Well, it was, it, was, it was subtle compared to... But I think they say something about the, the, the cuter of the two officers thinking oh that she... Like, pitying her more or something like they still say like they're one of them was cuter like every guy which like it's just so funny to me that's amazing (laughs) i don't know it's subtle he's not shirtless we're not describing his abs or anything but uh (laughs) they do make a point that at least one of the cops is cute Oh, here it is. See, I wasn't trying to shoplift the dress, she insisted, appealing to Sergeant Brown, who seemed to be the most sympathetic to her predicament. And the cuter of the two policemen. See, the cuter of the two, right? Yeah, we okay. We can't just let these, you know, we gotta... Well... Let's objectify the cops, that's fine. Jessica's gonna... Jessica, you know? <laughs> so, Jessica is like, okay, well, I'm screwed, but I guess I better call my family and like right, tell them what's up. Phone, yeah. Yeah, so she calls um, she calls Elizabeth, and this is when Elizabeth is like, don't worry about a thing, Jessica, just get here as soon as you can. And she, of course, what you, like, I don't know. Did you know what she was going to do? Once that happened, I did, but then I was, like, mad at myself that I had not seen this coming. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. It, like, crossed my mind, like, oh, since they're identical twins, like, you wouldn't know which is which, but, like, it didn't, I didn't think the book was going to go there. Which is kind of funny because the book uses this, has used this trick many times yeah, now. Yeah, this is like half the point of this book. There's there are two of them. They can just play each other. Yeah. And I was very like, I can't believe I did not and figure this out. It's also funny, like it's it is planted um, as a thread, sort of the idea that Elizabeth thinks she should be more like Jessica, you know, as a thematic yeah. thread. And then sure enough, um, she goes and she hunts down uh, an outfit she can wear. She puts on her makeup. And then, uh, you she know, takes her hair down. Yes, the piece de resistance, the uh, taking her ponytail out, just often the way that you tell the twins apart That's on so the covers. Funny. And now she's like, Elizabeth looking in the mirror, and Jessica was looking back at her. <laughs> That's wild. And so she goes and like 
she's like not a moment too soon oh but she does go downstairs and her family's like jessica when did you get home and she's like hey. Even their parents, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pretty wild but she she tells them the the truth but is like don't tell anybody else right. and goes in through a back door right as eric uh i keep wanting to say eric roberts right as eric parker is telling lila like i think maybe you're gonna have to go on yeah elizabeth locks Lila in her dressing room with a chair. Yeah, she waits for Lila to go. Lila gets in the dressing room, and then she puts a chair under the doorknob so Lila can't get out, and then runs to Eric and is like, I'm here, I'm here. He's like, Jessica, what are, where have you been? I thought I was, I'd lost you. She's like, you know, I'm always late. Sorry, haha. And um, yeah. he's like, you're right. You were late to your other thing. You were late to your interview. So Jessica um, is there, but Elizabeth goes on, as a Jessica like impersonator basically and then Jessica finally shows up like not long before the interview is over and she walks into the theater um and she's thinking to herself she steeled herself to see that snake Lila all charm and smiles in the midst of bamboozling the whole United States into thinking that she was the sweetest most all-American thing ever then Jessica gasped that's not Lila she thought in astonishment that's me no, of course it was not her. It was Elizabeth. <laughs> was I like that she even confused herself. She yeah. even confused like, how they there? What's going on? I do wish they'd uh, I wish they'd included I don't think they did. I, I wanna know what Jessica thought of the outfit Elizabeth chose. Oh, because that would be funny. uh Jessica had claimed that she didn't have anything to wear. And yeah. that, that's why she needed to go shopping. She was gonna go shopping with her mom and then Lila convinced her to go. Yeah. There was something about that that I wish they'd said, because Elizabeth was even like running through the her Jessica's room trying to find something that wasn't wrinkled that was like actually on a hanger. Yeah. It was difficult to even like find a Jessica outfit yeah, to like they, fully put together. They don't address Jessica doesn't seem to have any issues with no? Elizabeth's performance. Guess... In fact, she doesn't even care that like she doesn't even really care that she wasn't the one that did it. She seems to be sort of brainwashing herself into believing that she was the one that did it. Because on all intents and purposes, she was. Like, she gets all the attention afterwards. Yeah, and I mean, Elizabeth was answering the questions as Jessica would. They know each other really well. Plus, they just did all these interviews yeah, together. they practiced. So, yeah, Elizabeth literally knows Jessica's answers. There's a moment where Elizabeth says something about how... Oh, well, I guess I'll just read this. Do you want to read this with me? Your life sounds like a whirlwind, Jessica, Eric Parker was saying. How do you find time to do all the things that interest you? Elizabeth tipped her head thoughtfully to one side. I guess... Priorities, she said. It's not always easy to figure out what matters most to you or what you do best, but once you do figure it out, then you just have to put your energy there. Jessica frowned. What was Elizabeth talking about? Priorities? Jessica didn't even know the meaning of the word. The kids in the audience were sure to recognize Elizabeth's masquerade if she got serious all of a sudden. What would you say are your top three priorities, Jessica? Eric continued. Elizabeth smiled mischievously, the dimple in her left cheek deepening. Boys. There was laughter from the audience. Sun tanning, and I guess, boys again. <laughs> so Jessica's like, yeah, that's her. When, when, um, <laughs> this is making me think of That's when me. <laughs> Jessica, um, was listing her interests on the application. She wrote beach comma boys, but... They repeated this list a couple times, and I kept reading Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah. And I thought she was a big Beach Boys fan. Beach Boys. Probably and does. I was like, that's really specific. Interesting. Like, when does this take place again? And I was like, oh, she's saying Beach and, and just Boys. <laughs> yeah. Very separate. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's essentially the end of the story. Um, Elizabeth quits the Junior Rangers. Um, apparently, her parents were recording the show on their VCR and Jessica's been watching the interview on repeat, like memorizing her her quote unquote answers to or I guess quote unquote her answers. Yeah. I mean Jess and Jessica's thrilled because she basically did get to do the interview and all of the attention, everyone loves her. It's a huge success. Yeah. The weird thing to me is that at the very end though, Amy and Kara like walk Yes. Jessica over to Lila, who's sitting by herself at the cafeteria, and basically forced them to be friends again after they've both done terrible things to each other. Yeah, they both have. Although I do think that, like, it's kind of weird that Kara and Amy 
are like equating the t- the terribleness of the two things. Sure. The girls did. But yeah, they're both mad and I mean, yeah, what Lila did was terrible. Like just strand it's like it's unsafe to just like kind of strand someone an hour away with no car and no purse. Yeah. Unsafe. Like, that's yeah. Like, traumatizing. Right. Anything could have happened to her. And she basically I mean plus not not to mention, like, set her up to be arrested. Yes. And there's at one point when the when Jessica thinks, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to jail for the rest of my life. And I was like, I don't think you're going to jail forever. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're going to jail. But uh, if you're going to jail, you're not going to jail for the rest of your life. Yeah. Jessica, you're fine. But Kara and Amy are basically like, if you guys don't make up, we're not going to be friends with you anymore. It's so weird. All of these friends. I don't want to be friends with any of these girls. Like, they're very weird to me. And basically, immediately... They're all like, okay, well, we'll all go shopping together. And Jessica's like, okay, well, I guess if Amy and Kara are there, I can trust Lila. I'll be safe. I'll be safe. That's so <laughs> weird. Yeah. You shouldn't be feel unsafe around your friends. Yeah. And then, but she clearly does have a, have a turnaround because then she starts talking to Lila about something that she saw at Lizette's, which is their favorite shop at the, at the Sweet Valley Mall. Mm-hmm. So... I guess that's all. That's fine. Somebody says, um, all's well that ends well. Hmm. And then Lila says, but it didn't end well. Because <laughs> it didn't. That's what's so weird. They're like forcing everyone to get along. I was like, no, they've done terrible things. Yeah. And then, of course, the last moment of the book is that there's a new girl named Andrea Slade in town. She is, uh, nobody knows her deal. Um, and also, side note, um, there's a hot rock star named Jamie Peters who's got a new album coming out. Will these two things be connected somehow? Who can say? <laughs> but um, there is a teaser for book 72. Do you want to read that, Alex? Yeah. Is there anything interesting about the mysterious Andrea Slade? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 72, Rockstar's Girl. That's right. So if that sounds like it has nothing to do with the contents <laughs> of this book, that's fine. It doesn't. I mean, Andrea seemed cool. She had like a cool like brown suede miniskirt on, they said. And she seemed like, like she was dressed in a cool way. And then she turned down one of the Kirk Anderson. Guys. Smart girl. Smart girl. So she's got a good head on her shoulders, it seems. But we'll find out if that's true or not. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I asked you uh, to be my guest on this show, Alex, was because it's called Starring Jessica. Jessica is going to be a TV star. And Alex, you are a TV star. I've been on TV. <laughs> Let's call it that way. So, um, so in extra drama, we can talk a little bit about uh, your impressions of this book's depiction of, of TV stardom and Jessica's desires and how it compares to your own actual real life experience <laughs> of said things. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Um, until then, is there a lesson we can take away from this book? Hmm. Um, boundaries well, are good. For Elizabeth, boundaries are good. Yeah. And get an identical twin if you can. Great. Get an identical twin if you can. It'll help you out of a lot of binds and force you to be more of an individual. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next time. Didn't forget everything.